All right. I, I know I said on the last episode that that was the, the first episode, but I like to think of that one as episode zero. So this is actually episode one. Welcome to the West Vibe Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Disruptive Adventism. Disruptive Adventism is a platform that encourages people to contribute to the changing of the fabric of Adventism through conversation, collaboration, and content creation. If you want to join in, head over to disruptiveadventism.org. You know, obviously one of the challenges of working in a large church setting is, is I think a lot of times people are overwhelmed by the size and they fail to recognize that a church is as big or as small as you want it to be. I mean, it really is. Um, you know, some people look at, oh, you got 2,500 members there, so you can't know anybody. Well, there's seven and a half billion people on this planet, and I will not know roughly seven and a half billion of those people, but yet I'm perfectly comfortable living on this planet. I tend to be the kind of person that gets stuck in this kind of feedback loop of feeling like I have to do everything perfect, even though I know that I rarely do anything perfect. And so one of the biggest things I had to really struggle with internally when I decided to do this podcast was recognizing that if I tried to do everything perfectly to get the edits perfect and the recording perfect and to have all of it just exactly so-so how I felt, and honestly, I think sometimes I have like an unrealistic expectation of what perfection is in general, but especially for me, that if, if I couldn't get past that, I would never get this out. And so I knew from the very beginning that I was going to have to struggle with that. That this conversation that you're about to hear was the second one that I had to record was so awesome because I was completely unprepared for this. I had two mics and I was sitting down into this room unexpectedly to record with six people. And so my initial reaction was there's no way I'm doing this. I'm absolutely not going to do this. It's going to sound terrible. I'm not going to be able to pull it off. And then I reminded myself, hey, don't let perfection be the enemy of good enough. And so I went for it. Here's the story. Over the Thanksgiving holiday, I stopped in Dallas-Fort Worth uh, to spend the night with Kevin Wells, who's the pastor of the Arlington Seventh-day Adventist Church. I grew up in that church. Kevin was the youth pastor when I was um, acting a fool and getting kicked out of Burton Academy and just generally causing trouble and headaches for everyone. And now he's the senior pastor of this church. If you're not an Adventist, this may not really stand out to you, but there's not very many churches in the Seventh-day Adventist system that would be classified as like a mega church. This is one of them. The church has a couple thousand members, maybe a few thousand members. They've been a large church for a long time. And so I was interested to find out, I wanted to sit down with Kevin and find out how does he go about shepherding this huge group of people and keeping it vibrant and relevant and engaged for what has been decades now. When I asked him if he'd be willing to do it, he responded by saying, well, why don't I just have you come into our staff meeting tomorrow and you can visit with the entire staff? We'll all talk with you. So Monday morning comes and only Kevin knows this is happening. Danny and Alan and Tom and Allison, uh, bless their hearts, all walked into the room uh, with some stranger sitting there with microphones and recording equipment and uh, were totally caught by surprise. They had no idea this was coming. So thank you to you guys for just being troopers and just jumping into this with me. Before we jump into the interview, I want to give you a little background so you know where each person is coming from. Uh, Danny is the underground pastor for the Arlington Church, so he works primarily with the students, uh, kind of like high school up to uh, college age. And then Allison is the children and family pastor, so she works with the with the younger kids and also the family ministries. Alan is the YG pastor. That's a younger generation church. It's uh, focused on young adults primarily, but it's, as you'll hear, it's more than that. It's it's a very integral part of the whole church culture at Arlington. And then Tom is the executive pastor, so he handles all the business. And Kevin is the lead pastor, senior pastor, so he does most of the preaching and a lot of the visitation. So as we're talking, 
what really stood out to me is, is how well each person understood their role, but also how their role integrated with the whole picture. And as you're going to hear, each of them really sees themselves as a facilitator. To lead a large church congregation may be even more difficult than trying to lead a company. Because with a company, at least they're employees, and you have some leverage. When you're leading a church, it's a bunch of, it's like herding cats is really what it is. It's a bunch of people, and you have to lead from a place of engagement and trust and relationship. Otherwise, you're never going to get anywhere. And I think that, that these five individuals do an amazing job in empowering their membership, their congregation to go forward and be successful. With that, I think I've done enough talking. Let's jump into the episode. I hope you guys love it. All right. Well, I really appreciate y'all taking the time to uh, sit down. Let me interrupt your staff meeting on short notice um, to talk about what you do here uh, at the Arlington Church as a pastoral staff. Um, one of the things that that uh, that I when I look at this church from a distance and and you know follow you all on social media is just the size of it. It's it's an unusually large Adventist church. And uh, with that comes the challenges of how do you, you know, disciple and effectively pastor such a large congregation? How do you, how do you build those relationships that affect lasting change? So um, maybe if you could just kind of share, like, what do you do in your different uh, areas of, of ministry to help kind of build that discipleship and build those relationships? Well, I think, you know, obviously one of the challenges of working in a large church setting is, is I think a lot of times people are overwhelmed by the size, and they fail to recognize that a church is as big or as small as you want it to be. I mean, it really is. Um, you know, some people look at, oh, you've got 2,500 members there, so you can't know anybody. Well, there's seven and a half billion people on this planet, and I will not know roughly seven and a half billion of those people, but yet I'm perfectly comfortable living on this planet. And if you look at Jesus and the way he did ministry— is I forget what the population of the first century was in, in Jerusalem area and Israel proper. It was something like a million, I think, or something like that. Um, but yet he had a group of 72, and then he had a group of 12, he had a group of three, and he had a group of one. And, uh, and they were collectively known as his disciples. And so rather than trying to meet everyone and trying to minister directly to everyone, uh, Jesus had a small group that he poured himself into— uh, and they, in turn, poured themselves into others. So I think that's kind of the approach that, in general, that we have here, is that we don't look at and think, oh, well, we've got 2,500 people to minister to. No, you actually have one person to minister to, and it's that person that's in front of you. And, and they, in turn, have one. And the person that they minister to, they, in turn, have one. Um, so I think that's part of the key, at least is how I see it, that we are, we're able to kind of effectively at least I hope we're effective in in ministering to uh, to a large congregation. Anybody else's thoughts there on that? Well, part of the challenge for us too is I think that oftentimes people look at the numbers and they get overwhelmed with the numbers. But in the sphere of us as pastors, since you're here in staff meeting, uh, we have responsibilities to mentor and disciple those individuals that are helping us in leadership. And so going along with what Kevin was sharing in regards to the this kind of the concentric circles around Jesus, there were people that he really poured in heavily, and then there's large crowds to he to which he spoke generally. So I think that there's a there is an element that that allows us to be effective to whatever degree God allows us to be effective by us not taking on the responsibility of being over everyone, but having a responsibility to say, hey, I've got. Uh, like I love what Danny's doing with the UG leaders. I have a group of 12 people or I have a group of seven people. I'm going to pour everything I've got into them, not to necessarily bless and minister and cater to their every need, but to empower them, embolden them to join me and join Jesus in regards to what we're trying to do through this congregation. So what is, what, is, what do some of those things look like? Like Maybe you can speak to like what are some of the things that you do with the underground that are how you're working that out in you know practical 
uh, day-to-day ministry? I think, um, I mean, for us at, at UG, the kids that I have as leaders, I've, they've been with me, they grew up with me as I was a teacher uh, prior to being a pastor. And so I think it's it's more than, more than um, I think aside from allowing them and helping them in leadership with them leading other students, now high school students, um, it's just taking care of them, making sure that they know that they're loved, that they're cared for, so that they in turn care for others and love others and, and be able to uh, to then form a relationship enough so that they'll be uh, open to training and leading and, and, and uh, mentoring at that point. So, anyone else have anything you want to... So, one of the things that I think really stands out as unique about the Arlington Church is the, the YG Church. And it's this, almost seems like a, like a really highly functioning layer of ministry that we don't see in a lot of our churches really focusing on that young adult um, uh, category within the church. So with that being here in this congregation, um, what are some of the ways that, that you leverage that to build stronger community and kind of continue to develop your, your congregation together? And like, how do you, how do you use that to then keep, a connection with the younger ages coming up? Well, I think there's a lot of foresight and probably a little bit of rebellion in regards to the way that the Arlington Church formed. And so that has uh, kind of set the DNA in place for us to be um, a little bit more aggressive in regards to reaching people in their cultural set. Along the Adventist landscape, we typically have an educational system that keeps our young people pretty much in check. So ranging from VBS and elementary school and pre-K, our Adventist educational system, our academies and so forth, all the way up till college age, we have a pretty good plan and at least to create structure for keeping some type of connections with our young adults. But when they graduate from high school, we begin to see, as the statistics have shown us, an attrition. Uh, people not only graduating from high school and graduating from college, but also graduating from church. And this is where the vision of Mike Tucker, one of our previous senior pastors, and the individuals that surrounded him had a, had this insight. Hey, <laughs> as opposed to us dropping off the very best and the brightest that we poured into all these years as children, as teenagers, why do we kick them out? come time that they graduate from college and have no space for them. So they specifically contoured a space in Mike's words uh, where young adults could worship and lead worship for their peers. And that's how Younger Generation Church started. And so I think that part of the real key for us is developmentally. It's really important for us to take care of our children. We know that. It's a little bit daunting to take care of our teenagers, but we know that we need to do that as well. Well, why do we drop them off at the curb once they become college graduates and young professionals? Now, if you know anything about the sociology of today, our previous assumption was, well, they'll have children and they'll come back and fill out the circle of putting their children into Sabbath school. That's no longer the case with today's generation of young adults and, and including the previous generations. So the part that's really key and to answer your question is that we have to think about the long game. So I'm not thinking about teenagers in their teenager state. I think that our ministries to them is really important. But what happens when they graduate from high school? What happens when they graduate from college? Do we have a game plan? And that's where the continuity of, of ministry, discipleship, and relationship is so important. The uh, students that grew up with Danny were teenagers when they were with him, when they, when they first started. They're now young adults and young professionals pouring on and creating continuity. So in YG, the real important point for us is that we have to, number one, think of ourselves as kind of this ongoing continuum of ministry. So if I just stick with the same young adults, those young adults become middle-aged people and eventually become senior citizens. If I don't continue to think, okay, what's the next generation coming along? And the part that's really key for us in regards to children's ministry is these young adults that come through and we create a place where they feel belonging. They have a sense of identity and purpose here with our church. When it comes time for them to set that into motion for their own families or with their friends, they think of our church as opposed to some other place because they have those relational contacts ready. 
So one of the great things is I've been here nine years, um, going into my ninth year now, some of the YG uh, young adults that I first started with are now having their own children. And that's why we have to have a great relationship with not only our other services, but especially with a form and form kids, because we want to continue that that sense that, hey, here at our church, you'll have a grace-based relationship with Jesus to inform your identity, your purpose, and your belonging. So it's, it seems pretty organic, right? You've got YG, and so as kids come up, like they're going to gravitate towards that. When you, one of the things that I've always wrestled with when you talk about like age segregated ministry, which you guys do really well, but it, it was what you were talking about that gap. Like you get all the way up to high school, and then it's like, okay, go, you know, go sit with the rest of the grown ups now, um, and then there's no place. So, what are some of the things that, that you do when you're thinking about how do we transition from YG then into, you know, and that's going to happen maybe a little bit less kind of like, okay, here's your line. You now are no longer YG. You're now in, you know, the main service. But what are some of the things that you do to try to, you know, you essentially could say you move the back door a little further down the line. How do you, how do you then make that connection between YG into the, the main service and, and keeping that connection? Well, I think that if you look at, for instance, YG, if you go into the YG service, you will you will see a fully integrated congregation. I mean, from a from an age perspective. I mean, you've got you've got some kids that are in there and with their parents typically, and you will also have some gray hairs in there, okay, who just like that particular style of worship or music or whatnot. Um, and and so I, I think that that is actually kind of an organic bridge. Because you have some people that they're they're not so much into the traditional Sabbath school, so they'll come there. YG serves in effect as their Sabbath school, um, but then they'll also attend our, our, our mosaic service, which is a, a hybrid almost that follows afterwards. Um, so uh, you know, I think that's one of the things about that service in particular that is unique, um, and that. People from the outside looking in, they just see rock and roll church or something like that, or they just see, uh, you know, just contemporary music and the lights and all this other stuff, and and they may not actually see that there's a real community uh, that's happening in there, and it happens to be a community that expresses itself, expresses its love for God uh, in, in a way that is perhaps not in your traditional mold. You know, I, I try to help people to understand that, like, for instance, music, music is a language. And, and like any other language, it's it's amoral, you know. It, for some people, uh, they they like a certain type of language because that's what they were born with, that's what they're accustomed to, and that's what they're most comfortable with. Good for them. Other people have a different language. Some people are multilinguistic, you know, or multilingual and whatnot. Um, you know, so consequently, there there is a natural way of of integrating that's always going on. That's just based almost entirely on on kind of personal preferences, but I think ultimately on, on how the Holy Spirit moves. You know, one of the things that I've appreciated about YG, we came from the Pennsylvania Conference, you know, where I've ministered for 15 years, a very conservative conference, to hear, and it was almost overwhelming for my kids especially. They were six and three when they came. But one of the things I appreciate about Arlington and the discipleship process is that my 14-year-old, who is an introvert, who just a couple of years ago was begging us to come to church late, and he wanted to be the first one to leave. He just did not want to deal with people at all. (laughs) But a couple of years ago, he began to get involved with our, our media team, and all it took was somebody tapping him on the shoulder and said, Mark, would you like to be trained on running one of our cameras? And he said, sure. And it was part of that process that he got integrated into our media team where now he is not begging to leave early or leave you know, right after the church service and come as late as possible. He is now wanting to come first thing in the morning and one of the last to, to leave because he is a part of, of this church. One of the things that just happened, you know, Friday night was he was here doing some of the audio stuff and he considers himself YG and he's 14 years old. And I love the fact that he sees this as his church 
And he's not just a part of one little segment or that whole you're the future of the church. He sees himself as an integral part of who he is as as a part of this community. And so I've just appreciated the culture that has already been set long before we got here that no matter what age you are, this is your church today. We're not waiting for you to grow up. We're not waiting for you to be baptized. This is your church today. You could be YG even though you're not a young adult or, or, or you know, young professional. You can be YG when you're 14 years old. And so it's been kind of neat to, to see that very personally um, in my life with, with my, my two kids, especially my 14-year-old. My I want to kind of maybe chase that a little bit because one of the things that, that it, I think is difficult for a lot of us, probably especially in, in the Adventist church, I think more so than maybe in other um, uh, Christian traditions, is getting around the concept of what is ministry. And uh, one of the things that, that I really wrestle with in trying to get people to kind of free their mind from is that ministry is preaching, Bible studies, you know, selling you know, literature door to door. You know, how, how have you approached that as, as, a, as a congregation to kind of create a culture of expanding the idea of what ministry is and, and kind of making that shift to see that there's all of these different things that are just as valid and equal in ministry than just being the pastor preaching or, you know, the person giving Bible studies? Well, I think that, you know, honestly, if you look at the New Testament— you, I'm not aware of any piece of literature that was being handed out in Moss. Um, you know, I, Paul makes reference to wanting some scrolls brought to him at some particular venue. But what you have is a church that is extraordinarily personal, that is extraordinarily sociable, and that it is through the, the, the social interactions of the people through which people are one to Christ. In fact, Jesus himself said, listen, they will know that you are my disciples by your love. And he reiterates that uh, our love for one another, our unity with one another, would be the distinguishing characteristic of the legitimacy of his ministry. And, you know, so I, I don't, I have no objection to people that are that are faithful about going out and handing out literature. That's that's important. You know, information, you know, is, is a vital part of, of the gospel. However, the, the heart of the gospel is God's love for man, and the way that that's actually realized in people is through people loving other people as God would love them. And, you know, I, one of the kind of the things that, that I think about here at Arlington, that whether it was intentional or not, not entirely sure, you know, every church has its own folklore, has its own history, uh, but I know for sure that, uh, that, that, that at the heart of this church has always been this ethos of a fellowship of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And that typically has not come with any conditions attached to it, um, which seems to be the biblical way of going about ministry, is that people should have a sense of belonging, that they belong with Christ, that God wants them. They should first have that sense before they have anything else that's put on them or they're called to or whatever, such as behavior or going out. You know, in fact, when we talk about ministry, um, if, if we were to summarize ministry and say, uh, what is the work of God? Okay, well, I want to do the work of God. Uh, if, if Christ answered that question directly, you'd think that'd be an important answer to, to receive. And well, the fact is, is he does answer that question directly. On an occasion in John chapter 6, a group of folk came to Jesus and said, what must we do to do the work that God wants? And Jesus said to them, quite frankly, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. So our real work as, as Christians uh, is not to hand out literature. It's not to have Bible studies. It's not to go out and heal the sick, cast out demons, or anything else. Our real work is to believe in the sufficiency of what God has provided for our salvation. And in so doing that, uh, we actually start to experience community with God, which if you go to the great call of the disciples in Mark chapter 3, um, Jesus called the ones that he wanted to be with him in order that they might be with him. <laughs> then he would equip them to send them out. Um, so I think that's, that's critical um, in, in understanding what the true nature of ministry is, is that it's predicated entirely on a relationship with God 
and that that relationship with God is seen in other relationships with other believers in God and other people who've come to accept God's love for them. That's that's my opinion. So, a dovetail on that is something that that I think we, <laughs> when we say that that Arlington has this unique experience, it, much of what we do is very very familiar to church culture, um, but we never called it ministry. So one of the things that uh, Underground or, or UG Youth takes on is they literally take the names of our members that can no longer come to services, shut-ins and elderly individuals that are sick, and they come over, they have a devotional thought with them, and they come in mass to <laughs> sing with them. This is an old idea. But now it's this idea that, oh, we're not just doing this because we have to for uh, personal ministries points or some type of credit with God. We're doing this out of the overflow of that love and acceptance and forgiveness that we've experienced. And what a what a wonderful, I, I love the photos that are captured in these intersections between generations. So all of a sudden, these, these young people are no longer seeing this as an obligatory activity or requirement. They see this as a way by which to extend that love, acceptance, and forgiveness to people that are outside of the doors and outside of the walls of our church. Uh, and I think that those are real powerful um, identity markers for young people, but it's also a super important identity marker for the people that we've started to call laity or congregation. In other words, we're in such a consumeristic mindset in our churches that people are just simply coming to the spiritual mall, a large church, to see what can feed them. But if the mindset is, hey, we're here more than just to take in God's goodness, his love and his acceptance, his forgiveness, but uh, the motif that we have for our mission is to be engaged with the world and to be engaged with each other. And that's the place where everyone becomes a minister and we see the priesthood of all believers. Um, in, at, in the Adventist landscape, we've created these little silos of what we've called ministry. But I, I see that at least in the past two decades or so, we're expanding that. We're simply being uh, being more scriptural in regards to serving people, including the least of these. It has been now deemed ministry, things that you can do. And you don't have to just do it during the Sabbath hours. And that's super powerful. Now, there's something that Pastor Allison started with us that I thought was really great. We partnered amidst all the ministries, but I love the idea of families serving together, having an opportunity to create identity, not just simply in the church or in the professional ministry, but how can we make families start to embrace this idea that we not only are a family and we share meals together and we have curfew or whatever it is else that parents have to dole out to their children, but how can we minister together? So I've been really appreciative of some of the initiatives that Pastor Allison has not done only for our children, but also to equip parents to take on the role of minister, not only for their children, but for our community, and further some initiatives that we've been really, really excited to partner with her and the large, larger church in, including a recent thing we did at, at Burton. Um. Yeah, I, I think it's important that a part of our, um, our our sense of identity, both as a church, but as yeah, also our family identity, is the idea of, of service. And so we've had a couple of um, event-oriented things, um, like Rise Against Hunger, which is a meal packaging. Um, and they, they can, I think it's like oh, 20, 29 cents or something like that, feeds a family of six. And so we, we spent some time doing that. We partnered together with, um, with our Revive Ministries and with YG. Uh, we did some, it was Operation Christmas Child this year. But just trying to make sure that these um, opportunities are in front of our, our families. Because there are times when, you know, our, our most natural small groups are actually our, our families and, and just trying to equip them because not everyone comes from a healthy or intact family. And so there's a process of discipleship of parents as well. And so that, that may be in, you know, a program that you know, like a, a Sabbath school type program, but it also may be just saying, Hey, these are things that you can do. This is a part of of who we as Christians, of who who we as as Christ followers, and a part of the church, things that we can do together, and and 
um, just providing uh, a little bit of guidance, not only to the children, but to the parents who are the primary disciplers of their children. And if they can do that together, then there's less of a sense of isolation. Like you're, you're raising your child, you know, over off by yourself and it's so super hard. Well, it's going to be hard. I mean, that, that's, that's parenting. But if we can do it in community, um, you, there's less isolation and, and more support, which is, I think, the natural plan. You know, it, just for those that aren't acquainted with Rise Against Hunger, basically this organization will, will set up a location close to your to your church or in a gymnasium where you can actually pack meals for families. And it's a tremendous experience because parents and children, young adults and senior adults uh, get together and they pack these meals that literally will be shipped out to benefit families. And then another benefit of it is that you get to see your senior pastors wearing hairnets. So it's a really great time. The, the other thing that, uh, that Pastor Allison mentioned is this Operation uh, Christmas Child, which is uh, supported by Samaritan's Purse. It's very easy to do, but the beauty of it and the part that just moves my heart is that when you share that these packages can be tracked and they'll benefit someone, not only with little gifts and so forth, but introduce them to Jesus, we have children that are dragging their parents over to the table to get a shoebox, and they're putting the resources, the, the toys, and selecting that. What a wonderful opportunity now that a family no longer just sees themselves as consumers coming to church for their, their segregated uh, um, uh, 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 shops of preference in regards to ministries, but they get, begin to see themselves as a family unit making a difference in the lives of other people. And that's the part where I think ministry then becomes magical, okay? Um, it's no longer a burden. It's something that's exciting. My seven-year-old niece, um, well, my mom first, her grandmother, got on the phone and told me to take a look at my sister's Facebook site. But my seven-year-old niece, for her birthday, decided she doesn't want presents. She wanted contributions to go to a children's hospital, Okay, how am I as an uncle going to refuse that heart of ministry, right? I gave her more money than I've ever given any of my nieces and nephews just because I see that in her heart. And it moved me that she sent back a note saying, thank you, uncle, for, for contributing to my cause. I pray for the pediatric intensive care unit children every single night. That's where the magic happens, where it's no longer ministry, but children are reminding us, much like it says in the Gospels, they're, they're reminding us that this is the kingdom of heaven. It comes through them, and, it, and it, it emboldens all of our hearts, whether you're nine years old or 90. And so that's the part that I think we don't have anything, we don't have everything figured out here, but as we watch God moving through the Holy Spirit in the lives of our young people especially, that's where we get our inspiration, and we say, you know what, I think we're onto something, something that can change the world. One of the things that uh, several years ago, I don't know if it was a, an elder or a deacon had passed away in the memorial service. Um, uh, Pastor Mike, Pastor Jim, and they all came and, you know, paid their respects. And uh, we're talking about kind of the history of the church. And, and when you really kind of follow the progression of, of the Arlington Church along, you kind of get this picture that Arlington's always kind of been very forward thinking in how they approach ministry and how they get there. And what really strikes me just in hearing about what you're doing with, you know, the family ministries is that, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about how do we create integrative ministries, um, you know, in our church? How do we how do we tie it all together and, and, you know, do something different? And that's that's really happening here at really the level where it should, because you're tying families together. And by by that, you naturally tie all the different gifts together. When when you're sitting down and you're you're thinking about the future of the church as pastors and, and you're you're planning for where the church is going to go. Is it what kind of intentionality do you put behind giving thought to how are we going to stay uh, relevant and meaningful and how are we going to continue this heritage of being a place that um, is open and, and inviting and engaging to the next generation, not just comfortable for who's here right now. Well, I think the, you know, something that I forget who it was, but that I read or heard or somebody said to me, I don't remember, the gospel is always relevant. The gospel has always been relevant. So I think kind of the key to the future is, is really just keeping an eye on the gospel and, and, and finding out ways to communicate the gospel 
in terms that make sense to people where they're at. I mean, that, that's really what it came down to. You know, my, you know, you know, mentioned, you know, one of the things that I was taught early in ministry uh, by my predecessor, Pastor Mike, um, was my responsibility was to take care of the people. That's it. Um, which, in essence, that's the gospel lived out. And, and so I think that the key to always remaining relevant um, and on the cutting edge, you know, in air quotes, is really just the gospel and being attentive to the gospel, uh, not trying to get wrapped around the spokes of all of the different programs and initiatives that come down the pike that, you know, we, in general, Christians and Adventists in particular, uh, we're, we, we have a tendency to kind of want to chase the, the latest shiny thing. Um, when the reality is, is that we have everything that we need in the gospel. And so I think as long as we're faithful to the gospel um, and, and, and seeking to share the love of God with people, that uh, whatever we do will, by definition, be relevant, because the gospel is relevant. You know, I think it's less about trying to remain relevant and more about, about the gospel, but also about knowing your people. Um, you know, YG is contemporary, but not because they set out to, to develop a contemporary program, but because there was a dearth of programming for collegiate and, and post-collegiate age people, and there was enough trust that it was handed over the time slot and said, develop what you need for you and your peers. And the the result of that was YG. And and it has changed. The flavor has changed over time. But you look at research and growing young, it doesn't have to be contemporary to be relevant. It, it's about looking at the people who God has gifted us with, those who are in our care, and saying, you know, what are the gifts that each individual brings? And I'm not going to try to force this new young adult or new child into a mold that was set by their predecessor. It doesn't make any sense. We're, you know, we're trying to force them into something because our identity is tied up in being contemporary. No, that doesn't, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't make any sense on any level. You look at the individual and say, hey, look at the way that the God is working in their life already. And how can this gift be used, be leveraged, be um, exposed, really, to the corporate understanding for our for our greater benefit as as a, a collective people? The part that's kind of interesting, piggybacking on what Pastor Allison has shared here, is that you know YG's turning 15 years old this this upcoming year in 2019. Um, but if we stayed with the same young adults that started YG, they're not young adults any longer. Yeah. And too often we kind of we kind of get set into our you know our plaster of Paris of our preferences and get stuck. And if we got stuck, we would be doing you know we would be doing Stephen Curtis Chapman and Michael W. Smith's worship songs as opposed to the the songs that are resonating with today's young people. And so the part that I think is really key to see in the, even the evolution of, uh, of Younger Generation Church or YG Church is that we no longer see it as a contemporary worship service, just purely monikered as a different type of worship than the traditional worship. We see it as a leadership lab. So anyone can come and attend, and we have many, like uh, Pastor Kevin was sharing, we have many people of different ages that come in there and are just as engaged in the worship experience. But because our church believes that there has to be a space where we don't wait till a person turns 50 or 40 in order to be engaged in leadership in the church, we're taking full advantage of the recent research out of Fuller Youth Institute with Growing Young. We have, in fact, an initiative that we're a part of and we hosted here called Growing Young Adventists. You can take a look at it at growingyoungadventists.com. But the idea here is keychain leadership. So we have a responsibility, getting back to the idea of ministry and also Pastor Kevin's illustration in regards to discipleship. We each have a responsibility to pass on to the next generation the keys that gives them access and authority to say, this is my church. So don't be surprised when you come to, to any one of our services and there's a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old running a camera. Don't be surprised if there's individuals of senior citizen age that are involved with our family ministries or our, our form kids or our, um, having young adults or young marrieds participating and engaged with our teenage ministries. 
we have to desegregate our ideas of ministry. Uh, and so I, I really resonated with what you said in regards to the segregation of, of our ministries. We have all, all of our little specialties and expertise. Well, one of the things that we've just you just popped into here is that um, we've tried our very best to be collaborative and cooperative across our larger campus, across the age spectrum, and inviting senior citizens and elders to come to young adult events, providing social opportunities across the broad bandwidth of the church. It is in those places where um, Pastor Tom's son, 14, 14 years old? Pastor Mark's son, who's not going to get up in front and preach a three-point sermon. We're not going to be able to dress him in a tie and a suit and have him do a revelation seminar. But he is crucial to our ministry as we broadcast our, our services to hundreds of locations around the world. And he has a sense that he's just as important. In fact, he's probably more important because if he ever decides to turn off my mic, I wouldn't be able, <laughs> it, it, it'd be a done deal. Yeah. I would have no control. <laughs> Right, And so there's this collaborative opportunity where we, in our own skin, not in someone else's skin, get a chance to be a contributor to the grand scheme of the gospel and how it gets shared. Not only, yes, we have to share it with the entire world, but you know, sometimes it's just sharing the gospel with kindness and compassion with the person in the pew next to me or the person in the cubicle next to me or the person in the student in the classroom next to me. These are powerful places where if we have our own identity, belonging, and purpose laid in to Christ, um, you know, the world is his, his, is his opportunity to share love, acceptance, and forgiveness. I'm going to go back to something that, that Allison said, and that, that is the idea of, of freedom in ministry. One of the things I love here was that many of the quote-unquote successful ministries that we have whether it be YG, whether it be Revive Community Care, where we serve you know seventy plus families every other other week through our food pantry, whatever it is, we have given our members the freedom to do ministry. Not every church, when a member comes up with an idea, is the answer. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and try it? It's well, let's take it to the board. Let's see, make sure the pastor signs off. Let's make sure all of this, you know, all the boxes. And being the executive pastor, I'm all about policy and making sure things are done done well. But I love the idea of the freedom that if an idea for ministry is brought to the table, nine chances out of 10 or 99% of the time, even, even more than that, is yes, go ahead and try it. And if it fails, that's okay because we've learned something, we've touched lives. But the reality is that I love the freedom, whether it be our Financial Peace University that's led by one of our, our um, passionate board members or whether it be our full life conference that we did last year on mental health and talked about issues that aren't being talked about in my portfolio but it as the men's ministry leader joshua's men we are given the freedom our members are given the freedom to say hey what about this or what about that and we give them the opportunity because it's not our church it's not the fight we don't we're not the gatekeepers we're the facilitators to help ministry happen and help lives be changed and we do have a lot of flops and failures. You know, so we're not only, we don't only have freedom, but we also have freedom to have failures and freedom to say, hey, you know what? Uh, we tried that. Let's not try that again, but we learned something along the way. So th I think that that's part of the importance in regards to freedom is that if we have freedom only to have successes, then there's a lot of pressure. And then we become kind of kind of narrow and myopic in regards to what we're trying. But if someone says, hey, you know what? Let's have ugly sweater Sabbath. Well, if it flies or flops, we're going to try it out and see how it goes. Yeah, that's the thing I think that is you learn more in your failures than you yeah. do in your successes. And I had a, a pastor friend of mine call me going into a, a meeting uh, with this conference. and They were trying to create a policy for creative ministry. And he said, he said, what do we need to do? What does this policy need to include? And I said, it needs to include give them money and let them fail um, because you can't. You can't create a policy that's going to <laughs> conscript creativity. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny you should say that. I remember listening one time to a to an artist, a very gifted artist, very famous. I, I unfortunately can't remember his name. That's kind of funny, I guess. Um, where he was asked, "Are are people born creative, 
or do they become creative? And, uh, and his answer was yes. And then the follow-on question was, well, how do you make people more creative? And his answer was, give them harder problems and just let them do what they're going to do. And, you know, if you, you want to talk about different aspects of, of leadership that you can learn from, from different settings, you know, I love watching football, and I've heard it frequently said about NFL cornerbacks, they have to have a short memory. They have to have a short memory. Uh, they, they can't spend too much time reflecting on their successes because they're going to get burned. And when they get burned, they can't spend too much time reflecting on that because they won't have the confidence that they need to go out there. You know, one of the things that, I, that I've always loved about Arlington is that I feel as a pastor and entirely empowered by this congregation to fail. And, and that's a significant thing because I know a lot of pastors out there that are just, they're terrified. They're terrified of if they try this thing and it doesn't, it doesn't work, what's their congregation going to think? What's their conference president going to think? Are they going to be in jeopardy of losing their job because something failed? And, and that is anathema to, to success. Um, you have to have the freedom to be able to fail. Otherwise, you will never grow. You honestly will never grow if all you do is succeed. Because when you succeed and you succeed over and over and over again, all that demonstrates is that you've reached a point of, of mediocrity. You've reached a point where you, you've, you've mastered this formula of success and you are not trying to grow beyond that. And that's, to me, that's one of the things I love about this church. Well, Pastor Kevin, how long have you been here at this church? Well, let's see. Altogether, I've been here since 1997, so we're looking at 21 years, minus two for seminary, so 19 years altogether is how long I've been here. Okay, so if we're, if we're just going to be if we're just going to be straight up here, in those 21 years, mm-hmm. he's had some flops. Oh, big time. And had some failures. <laughs> and, and the challenge here, and the part that I think is really key to leadership, leadership is, is no longer... It's no longer just say, hey, we're going to go this direction. But leadership means that you have enough trust invested with people that you can take them to someplace they've never been. And when you find out it's a dead end, you say, oops, <laughs> turn <it> around. <laughs> let's turn around. <laughs> let's try something different. But you, you, you know, it's more than just saying, hey, I have a charismatic personality or I have a way with words. You can follow me as a leader. It's this idea of you, do you trust me enough that we're going to try some things that are going to expand the kingdom that may be beyond what we've done previously. And that's what uh, Pastor Kevin's, ex- you know, he, he talks fondly about the congregation, but over 21 years, he's had an opportunity to curate, to allow a mat- maturation of relationships. Say, hey, you know what? We know he's a little bit off kilter on this side here, <laughs> but we've been able to see God move in this church over these 21 years in ways that we couldn't if we keep on switching the pastor because they made a made a mess up or they <laughs> they they didn't meet our policy expectations so there really has to be this texture of trust built over relationship you know i think that that's not only true of our own leadership but also of our empowering of the younger generation i was um Danny and I were working together on uh, some stuff for the Easter program this last year, and it was pretty. It was a pretty eclectic um, program, and it was interesting that he he came back and said, "Well, we've got some different stuff, some stuff that we weren't really anticipating. Basically, we just kind of handed off a song to the youth, and his version of handing it off was really handing it off, telling them this was, hey, guys, this is the song, see what you can do with it. And they came back with a completely different melody line and a rap. And and there was then the freedom for them to have that be a part of our our collective worship, our corporate understanding of, of our identity and our expression um, of our identity in Christ. Then, But I mean, it was kind of funny because... Like even even with the art project, um, we were trying to figure out where, where we were going and with it and and everything and and eventually we just kind of like handed it off to Christian and I didn't know what it was he was doing, and Danny said, "Well, I don't know. I don't get about half of what he does. We just let him do it." <laughs> and the, but but that is the thing that does keep you relevant is not trying to understand something that is not geared toward you. You know, if 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 every if I have to understand everything that ministers to people, we're in real big trouble because my mind is not that big, 
And if I have to control it, then we're not going to minister. I think in, in, in that sense, the relationship, going back to the very first thing that we were talking about, the relationship is what allows, it actually allows them to, to have, they're looking out for you too. So you hand it off to them, but they're looking out for you. They're like, hey, how is this? Is this good? Is this okay? Is this? They'll actually have a lot more, um, they're not just going to do something just because, but then, then it becomes a collaboration because they know you gave it to them, but they in turn come back and say, Hey, how can we, is this okay? How can we make it better? What can we do? Uh, and it becomes a relationship and not just the one. Cause otherwise sometimes when they try to take something, if they feel like they took it away from you, they're just going to, they're not going to come back and ask you or have, uh, have a connection with it. If you hand it to them, then it becomes a, a collaboration it becomes something that you do together and so i think in for our, for our kids they need guidance uh, and for us we need to let go like allison said we need to make sure that we trust them um that we trust what they what that god is leading in their life as much as he's leading in anybody else's life and that he has uh that he wants to express something that i cannot come up with because i cannot i don't have that that way of expressing but they do and so, but by doing, by having that relationship, then it creates something beautiful. And that's, that's I think, uh, where we need to go. And, th- and that transcends age. You know, you have many church members that never saw themselves as leaders, but as ministers or professional ministers, to the degree that we build trust with them, we have a relationship with them, and we say, hey, go with your idea, Financial Peace University, and the derivatives that Maria has created as, hey, you want to try it at 8 o'clock in the morning? Good luck with that and have have at it. Now there's all kinds of families that have been blessed with more financial responsibility because she says, hey, I can run with this. So it transcends not just, not just the idea of age, you know, us trusting the kids, but also there are many of our members that have never felt, I've often said, you probably have some young professionals in your in your congregation that are handling uh, multi-million dollar portfolios for Fortune 500 companies. But because you've never built relationships with them, you you are scared to give them the key to the gymnasium, right? And so to the degree to which we build these relationships and we have the opportunity, there's a, there's a larger, see, there's a larger cause for us in this. It's the cause of Christ. It's that gospel. And so to the degree to which we're trying stuff that doesn't even make sense to us, but it's making sense to other individuals, whether it's the millennials saying they don't understand the GI generation or the baby boomers saying we have no idea what to do with Snapchat. There's opportunities across all the broadband for us to be literally multilingual in a way beyond speaking tongues, right? So we have an opportunity to do that. But I think the, the real key that I think we're centered in on is that this leadership thing is really, hey, we need to put in... We need to put in the pounding of the payment to build the relationships so that they trust us, but we also trust them. And when that happens, something really powerful uh, can actually occur, can blossom. Pastor Kevin said something once that, um, I think it was one of his sermons, where he, uh, where Jesus utters this uh, I, I just unfathomable idea that next generations would do greater works than him. How can that even be possible? But even in the illustration that we see in our ministries where a Christian, one of our young adults, who's a very creative mind, says, hey, I can go with it and does things that we would have never imagined. Imagine right now in regards to Christ in his man's side, right? First century saying, literally at a touch of a button, you can speak to portions of the world that we would have never fathomed in the first century being able to. These are great things, and you're doing it for the cause of Christ. And so we have an opportunity to continue that synergy, that innovation, that creativity with a leadership that's built on the on the real sinews, the muscles of relationships that have been formed over a period of time and built trust. I want to kind of circle back to the story that, that Allison told about the Easter program. Probably not that long ago, and, and I'm sure in most, if not all, other Adventist churches, if there would have been a rap as part of the Easter program, <laughs> the blowback would have been unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But after that happened, it was an aha moment for me because I realized our congregation gets it. Because 
at least for my inbox or my conversations with people, I didn't hear anybody say, oh, that was so inappropriate. We didn't need to do that. You know what I did hear? I heard some people say, you know, that's not really my genre of music, but it must have reached somebody. And so that idea, excuse me, that idea that, you know what, this may not be for me. This may not minister to me, but it's ministering to someone tells me our congregation understands that one size doesn't fit all, that we need to minister within our armor and in different in different ways. And for for that, I mean, like I said, the, the idea that there was hardly any, like I said, Kevin may, may, his inbox may have blown up and mine didn't. I got one. <laughs> but tells me our congregation says we are about the next generation and we are about pouring into them and let them ministering in in their armor and in, in their way to our collective congregation on the big stage. This was our largest, you know, this is our, was our largest service and one email and conversations were that didn't hit me. That didn't, you know, that didn't, wasn't my genre of music, but we're glad we were part of it because it ministered to somebody. There's another aspect that came to mind as you were saying that pastor Tom, and you're talking so fondly about your email box is that as leaders, we, we need to, we need to, as uh, we used to say fondly about Pastor Mike Tucker, we need to wear the flap jacket. We need to be able to be that buffer to ameliorate some of the, some of the saints that are going to have some angst because we're on the cutting edge. So there has to be a leadership relationship that allows you to not only take the positive and the compliments, but also the people that are a little infuriated or at least confused by the things that we're doing. And so I've so appreciated that. Uh, YG has, has, has grown because Mike Tucker, before Kevin came on, was willing to take the hard questions from adult members that weren't quite sure about what was going on. And I can say over my nearly decade of serving here, there's oftentimes been a congregant or a person that wouldn't approach me, but certainly approaches our senior pastor to narc on us. (laughs) And our senior pastor understands that we're all on the same mission. And so for those people, you know, our congregation is great, but they're also learning too. So I would say this is that our leaders really need to be willing to take the hits so that ministries can be cutting edge and relevant. The second part I would say to that, which I think hits towards your your original question, is that mission leaks. So if we don't tell the stories of how we started, people forget why we're here. All right. If we don't if we don't reiterate, much like when you came here, and and unfortunately it was a sad occasion, but it, re- it reminded us as to why Arlington was here, and how we started. If we don't tell those stories from generation to generation, it doesn't take long for gen- for the mission of the church, the essence of the church, to leak out the bottom. And so we have to do our part to be really mission driven, but also tell those beautiful stories that say, hey, you know what? They didn't want us to do this, that, or the other, but we said we're going to do it anyway because our young people meant so much to us. So when we're doing stuff and we're building a new annex or we're starting to expand in regards to our outlets, our various camping ministries, uh, the children's ministries that we're developing, all these different things, it's because this is what we've always done because the stories and our mission reiterated to our membership helps remind them, and for our new members or our newcomers, it introduces them to a legacy that they would not have known, except we would, not number one, protect it by being leaders. So we take the flap, we take the take the bumps and the hits because we're trying new things. But number two, say, these are new things, but they're based on a ministry that's based on the gospel that says our next generations are important, and that's what gives us older generations a sense of purpose, is that we have a responsibility to continue to pass the gospel to every generation until he comes. Well, I don't want to wrap it up, but I know you've got to wrap it up. So I really appreciate y'all taking the time to uh, to sit here and share with me, um, you know, what insight into into this congregation and and uh, doing it on the spur of the moment and uh, just the openness. Um, really blessing to me and and just thank you so much for that. So appreciate it. Thank you, Wes. I hated to cut that conversation off, but we had already gone way over time and they had another meeting they had to go to. But man, what a great conversation. I I hope you thought so as well. I just want to say again, thank you to you guys, Kevin and Tom and Alan and Allison and Danny. Thank you for uh, just being troopers and like jumping into that. 
it was great. The stuff that, that you guys shared on the spur of the moment really goes to show just how passionate you are about what you're doing. Thank you for opening up and sharing that with the world. All right, that's it. Episode one in the bag. I hope you guys loved it. Episode two is coming next week. My guest is Joseph Guin, who owns Joseph Guin Barber in Shreveport, Louisiana. And we're going to be talking about how to create amazing experiences and how to build your brand. You won't want to miss it. I want to give a shout out real quick to Andrew Carroll at 42 Design. If you are needing any design work done for print or web, give Andrew a call. His design business is how he enables himself to be able to volunteer most of his time to serve those who need it most. You can check him out, 42design.co. Give him a call, see what he can do for you. He's always done great work for me. With that, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you guys. Episode one, the West Vibe podcast in the books. See you next time.